When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? Mr. Shaka Cummings, my partner in crime, Mr. Parker Golick. I mean, Mr. Parker Ainsworth. You guys will find out what that means in a second. Welcome to F in Sports, the podcast with two teachers, great sports, biggest issues. And Mr. Ainsworth, you had a pretty good week in terms of some Twitter interaction, sir. How are you? I'm doing okay. I wish, I, you know, I might trade it for what being able to watch Mike and Mike or Golik and Wingo or something in the morning. But uh, it was it was a good week on that front. It's weird with school starting back up though like my what i'm watching and what i'm listening to and stuff is all shifting back to school mode how are you doing mr cummings uh i am the same like i'm doing pretty well and a lot of what i'm doing is actually just getting me ready for school we go back next week we're going to do a hybrid model that being said most of our students are going to come to school so we're just getting ready for in school in person making sure we're doing all the social distancing stuff so I am excited about school, although I am a little nervous, if I must admit. Um, <laughs> let's go ahead and jump into gold stars and detentions. And please, Mr. Ainsworth, hit me with that first gold star, because I think I know what it's going to be. Uh, well, you alluded to it earlier, but shout outs to Mrs. Golick. I'm still going to call her Mrs. Golick because she's the mom of the Golick family. The first you can call her mom ESPN. at this point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mom of the first family of ESPN in a lot of ways. Um, obviously everyone was a little beat up last week when it's our first week without Mike Golick Sr. on TV or radio. And so I wrote a little piece about some ideas, one big idea, I guess, that I had that he should do next, uh, that doesn't involve ESPN or sports, but would still have him on our television sets. Uh, you should go check it out on bellyupsports.com and I'll leave it at that. But the Belly Up Sports account tweeted it out and tagged Mike Golick Sr. Jr. and Mama Golick. Uh, it, we got some interaction from Golik Sr., which was great, and I felt like, oh, great, he saw it, he thought it was clever, he said that it was interesting, or, that's nice, oh, cool, cool. And then 
Mama Golik retweeted it, and that really, like, my phone blew up for, like, a solid couple hours and then into the next morning as well. Um, so thanks for the love, Mama Golik. I hope you guys actually enjoyed it and aren't just retweeting it. Um, and if you're interested in what I'm talking about, I'm going to leave it that vague and send you to bellyupsports.com to read. Absolutely. Go ahead and interact with Belly Up Sports. We're both writers there. And this particular article I thought was incredibly clever. Uh, my first gold star is going to go to Dallas Mavericks owner and billionaire Mark Cuban. So there's a guy named David Hooksteed who put out this tweet talking about the NBA ratings and mentioned that last week there were primetime games on Thursday that the NBA put out there and that in terms of the ratings, Tucker Carlson's TV show beat the NBA games in primetime which he's putting that out to kind of diss the NBA. He probably has some political feelings toward players wearing uh, messages on the back of their jerseys, that sort of thing. So Mark Cuban... What, a Fox Sports fan would have trouble with the NBA messaging? (laughs) So Mark Cuban just replies back and reminds him that in terms of the 18 to 49 demographic, which, oh, by the way, is the key demographic in terms of advertising, not only did the NBA beat Tucker Carlson, but they beat him by 215%. So they crushed him. Now, Tucker Carlson did win in the 70-plus demographic, which is fine, but you're not getting a lot of advertising dollars there. So shout out to Mark Cuban for shutting down all these Twitter trolls who have their different political leanings. Like, the NBA is cool. Thanks for that. (laughs) Mr. Ainsworth, do you have any more gold stars, sir? Yeah, I got uh, one more that actually I'm going to shout it out to the, like the entire WNBA or at least all the players in the WNBA. For anyone who, you know, we're both history teachers and anyone who's followed the history of this country should not be surprised that women are the forefront of these social justice movements. Um, but if you followed like a big fashion statement for NBA players has been like the shot of them walking into the stadium. And that seems to have carried over in the bubble where we're like paying attention to like what clothes and sneakers and stuff they wear and the WNBA has used this moment you know they're on tv a lot more than they've been in the past to be very intentional about the things they're wearing on their way into the stadium right you've got sue bird wore a brianna taylor themed t-shirt uh with some powerful messaging about it's been 150 days or whatever it was at the time since she was murdered and no one's been arrested um you had the entire atlanta dream team walk in with a vote warnock um which just sounds interesting because like oh they're supporting a political candidate that's odd it's the political candidate running against their owner in georgia <laughs> um it, it's just again it should not be surprising that women are at the front of this if you paid attention to u.s history for its entire almost 250 years i have another gold star but i'm gonna piggyback off of your gold star to deliver my first detention and my first detention actually goes to kelly leffler she's the part owner of the atlanta dream And when players were wearing the Vote Warnock shirts, she put out this response, like this statement that referenced cancel culture and the fact that her beliefs are different than folks in the NBA and how she doesn't necessarily think that the women in the WNBA should be able to wear these shirts, whatever. Detention to you, Ms. Leffler, because if what you're saying is in fact cancel culture, then voting is cancel culture, and it always has been. <laughs> so are you anti-voting? I don't know what that is. Like, I can wear a shirt that says I support a particular political candidate, and the WNBA players are doing that. Just because it's not you doesn't mean it's cancel culture. It just means they're actually exercising their right to vote. 
uh, thank you, 19th Amendment. Women vote in this country. So rock your shirts, women. Absolutely love what the WNBA is doing there. And Kelly Leffler, go sit your butt in detention somewhere. That's a ridiculous argument. It's funny because it's like, they disagree with me, therefore it's cancel culture. No, they just disagree with you, therefore they're going to go vote. You should have thought about that <laughs> before you put all your stuff out there. Um, I want to go ahead and jump into my final gold star. Gold star to Eddie Alvarez, who plays for the Tampa Bay Rays. But this is an incredibly cool story. So Eddie Alvarez has been in the minor leagues for a while and is making his major league debut this season. And listen, COVID is ravaging baseball, and I get that there's a lot of negative there, but this is a great story. Eddie Alvarez also has an Olympic silver medal in speed skating. He was a member of the short track speed skating team in the United States and won a silver medal back in Sochi in 2012. And he's like, listen, that was an opportunity and so I took advantage of that opportunity, but my passion is baseball. And so he stuck with it, and now he's making his Major League debut. And talk about a two-sport athlete. Speed skating to baseball, there's a lot of explosive muscle movement in both of those, so there actually is a little more translation than people think. But I don't know how many Olympic medalists are playing in the Major Leagues. This is one of them, and I think it's a cool story that he stuck it out, and now he's playing for the Rays. So I'll go start to you, Mr. Alvarez. Mr. Ainsworth, I think we're going to transition into detention since I already kind of started us there. Um, how about you hit us with the detention, sir? I've got a, I got a few this week. Um, <laughs> while we're talking about things we put out this week, we, uh, Mr. Cummings and I work every week on a renaming mascots-themed article. Again, we put one out every week. Um, and last week, we wrote about the Oklahoma Sooners. For those that don't know, Boomers and Sooners were both people that stole land. And there's a whole lot more in the article about how that happened. But what I will say is I knew that Oklahoma Twitter and I, Oklahoma being the University of Oklahoma and Twitter and I, would never get along. Uh, <laughs> but I did. some of these replies just were crazy. And stuff like, well, if that's offensive, then all this land in the entire United States has been stolen. That's offensive. And I was like, well, yeah, now you're getting the point. Yeah, and, yeah, it <laughs> actually is, dude. Yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, and then. One dude was like, well, I'm not offended and I'm a Mexican. I was like, well, that, that's cool. I'm not talking about that. Yeah, like, congratulations. <laughs> like, Thanks. Um, there were just some ludicrous responses out of Oklahoma Suitor Twitter. And so I'm going to put the whole thing in attention. I think, uh, A, I'm not sure how many of you people read past clicking on the headline. B, some people scrolled straight to Okies and were like, wait, that offends me. And I was like, oh, now you get it. <laughs> <laughs> and C, there was all this stuff about like, well, if thieves are offensive, then da da da. I was like, you're just listing other mascots. This is a weekly article. We'll get to all of them. Give me a second. <laughs> uh, so Oklahoma Twitter is in detention. Uh, please read the article because I honestly think that my nickname, my new nickname for the Oklahoma University sports teams is pretty darn clever. So uh, go ahead, check that one out. <laughs> um, my final detention for the week is going to the Washington Wizards. And follow me here, guys. The Washington Wizards are in the bubble. The Washington Wizards have not won a basketball game as of yet in the bubble. They are officially 0-5. What that means <laughs> is that the Washington Wizards, in terms of win percentage, are now behind the Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> the Charlotte Hornets were not invited into the bubble, but the Charlotte Hornets just haven't played. The Wizards have been so bad in the bubble without Bradley Beal that they've gone from being the ninth best team in the Eastern Conference to the 10th best team in the Eastern Conference. 
and the other team that's ahead of them isn't even playing a game. You guys, man, this is tough. Obviously, it matters not having Bradley Beal because the the offense revolves around him. That being said, like you guys just gave Michael Jordan another win. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to end with two bubble-themed attentions of my own. One is pretty short and sweet because I'm one about – I've always thought you should uh, say things to people's faces. And so to Paul George and Patrick Beverly and <laughs> Damian Lillard are each going to get attention from me because they went after their back-and-forth game. You know, the Blazers and Clippers played a very close game. For anyone not paying attention, the, the Blazers are creeping up on the eighth spot and could really do damage because they're now a fully healthy team that was just in the Western Conference Finals a year ago. As much as it pains me to say, Damian Lillard, like Damian Lillard ended my Rocket season many years ago, and he and I have never gotten along since. But he's really, really good. Um, and Paul George and Patrick Beverly decided to go on to social media and comment. You know, he's going home or pull it up but, uh, and whatnot. And Damon Lillard responded back with, well, I sent you home last year. I sent you home six years ago. So what you got to say about that? Here's my big thing about all this back and forth on social media. You guys are very literally all staying at Disney World. If you've got something to say to one another... Say, I'll meet you at the coffee shop in the bottom of the hotel and go. Don't do this back and forth on Twitter and social media. That's just fake tough guy crap. If you really think you have something to say to someone's face, go to the coffee shop at the bottom of the hotel or go knock on the dude's door. Right? You saw Kyle Lowry say that to Aaron Gordon the other day. He's like, I'm in room 386. Come see me. Like, Go do it. If you're really about that life, go do it. I'm not advocating fighting, but what I will say is I'm advocating if you really think you're about it, go be about it. I'm imagining <laughs> so, now like Dame Lillard being like, I'll meet you at Beaches and Cream. You better bring Mickey McDonald. <laughs> like, it'll be awesome. <laughs> My last attention, I'm going to be very specific. I do not have a problem with Luka Doncic. I think lots of Rocket Twitter does, and I, so I don't want to like you know say that we're not at fault in any of this. Um, Luka Doncic is a great... He's a great basketball player. But, he's tremendous at 21. But, um, and he's even humble. Like when asked about being in the top three most improved player voting, he responded with, take me off the list and put Devontae Graham on there. I don't deserve to be on there. He does. Like he, he is a very, very good person and basketball player. Hey, you said all that to smash him. Now go ahead, Rocket fan. But, go ahead. <laughs> my problem is with Dallas Mavericks Twitter that clearly only watches one team. My problem is with people that watch Luka Doncic and don't watch other players. My problem is with people that like hype this up as if the impressive thing is what he's doing, not that he's doing it at 21. Most notably in the last 24 hours, right? We're calling this on a Sunday. Last night, he and the Mavericks beat the Bucks in overtime. He had a tremendous between his own legs pass to Mejri for a dunk that sealed the game. Kevin Pelton, who is not like the lead voice of Dallas Mavericks Twitter, but became a big like face of it last night because of how much he was getting repubbed and so on tweeted out i've never seen anyone do that pass before a pocket pass between their legs <laughs> now you're laughing as a kentucky guy because i'm sure you're going back to like john wall in 2010 right like you know, this yeah. is <laughs> I'm actually, i think i'm laughing because i know you what know you're exactly going to reference i know exactly where, where you're going the nba itself in a video that was retweeted by adam abramson last night put out an entire two and a half minute clip of james harden doing this pass in the last five years i'm talking they go far enough back where he's throwing it to montrez harrell in short sleeve gray jerseys <laughs> he's been doing this 
forever. And so I understand that Luca's really strong and like that he's at 21 being compared to a guy like a James Harden and their games are so identical. It drives me nuts that people love one and hate the other. Like their games are, they're both change speed super well. They're not particularly crazy athletic, but they're big and strong and super smart. But man, like to have the audacity to say this has never happened before a pocket pass between your own legs is crazy dumb it is so (laughs) so silly and it so so embodies that you don't watch anything besides your own team the funniest thing though is that worldwide wob who's like a mainstay on nba twitter across the board tweeted out kind of these same sentiments i have and then replied to his own tweet with a video of Harden doing it literally against the Mavericks in the bubble. Like, if you even if you only watch Dallas Mavericks games, you saw this pass happen a week ago. The funniest tweet I'll say I saw on this, and I'll leave it at this because I could rant about this comparison for a long time because I think both, if you like one, I don't understand how you don't like both of these players, is a picture of James Harden above James Brown. And then next to it is a picture of Luka Doncic above Elvis Presley. And I think that that embodies <laughs> the entirety of my sentiment and Houston's sentiments about this topic. And that's where I'm going to leave it. I love that. That's <laughs> that's amazing. Now I got to go look for that tweet. Um, we have a wonderful podcast for you. We're going to talk about college football and whether or not we're going to see those players on the field in September, October, November, December. Like, are we going to get to see any college football? We're also going to talk about the NBA. And Parker has been expressing his sentiment in the last few pods about this last four months kind of being a de facto offseason. So should we kind of look at it that way and trust everything that we're seeing so far in the bubble? And is this going to be the new norm for the NBA? And then we'll wrap up with the discussion about the NFL. And if they're not going to do a big bubble, could they do a micro bubble of some sort? So we'll definitely get into all those topics. Mr. Ainsworth, are you ready to go, sir? Ready when you are, Shaka. All right, Mr. Cummings. The first thesis this week, as school is getting ready to gear back up, or I guess it has geared back up in some places, is kind of about schools and football. Uh, The thesis reads... There will be college football played in September, October, November, and December in 2020. That's oddly specific, but I want to hear your grade on that thesis, Mr. Cummings. Absolutely. Very specific, and I'm going to give it a D. I want to fail it, but I'm going to leave a little bit of wiggle room for myself. How about you, Mr. Ainsworth? What are you going to grade that particular thesis? You also stole it from me. I was thinking like, D, I, I'm like, oh, I have one thing keeping me from giving it an F, but I'm thinking D as well. All right, Mr. Cummings, you get, we both gave, I guess I should say, this thesis a D. Um, you've got some strong thoughts on this. Uh, I know you're a big Kentucky Wildcat fan. SEC football is a big thing. So tell me, why do you think no football is getting played? So let me start with the reason why I gave this a D instead of an F. The only thing... And this is not necessarily the right decision, but the only thing that makes me think we're going to have college football in September, October, November, and December is the fact that college football, in terms of revenue, generates somewhere in the neighborhood of $4 billion. And they're already going to lose money because there's no way they could fill these stadiums. So the fact that they're already going to lose significant portions of revenue makes me think they're going to fight to make this thing happen to retain any piece of that four billion dollars that they possibly can and if you look at 
the empirical data, the objective data. I don't think that there's going to be any way that they could play. Let's just start with the fact that we've already seen the cancellation, or I should say the postponement of seasons. We've seen it at the Ivy League. We talked about this a few pods back. And then you had a bunch of different conferences that followed, including the Northeastern Conference, the MEAC Conference. So there's a lot of conferences, the Big Sky, they've already followed at the FCS level. And based on the number of conferences that have already said, hey, we're not going to play in the fall, the playoffs at the FCS level, they've already been canceled because all they had to do was hit a 50% of team threshold, and they've hit that threshold. Division two and Division three football have already canceled their playoffs. So the lower levels are setting the trend. Now we're starting to see things flow upward. We see UConn cancel their season. So because they're an independent, they're not beholden to a conference. So now they're just making the best decision possible based on their school. And oh, by the way, go look at the state of Connecticut. They've handled the coronavirus outbreak as well as anyone. So the fact that that state and that state institution made the decision to say no football, maybe that's something we should take into account. And we haven't even discussed yet the fact that the MAC conference, oh, by the way, the MAC conference generated somewhere in the neighborhood of $22 million and another $18 million on top of that from bowl game revenue. They've decided we're postponing. So now we're starting to get FBS conferences questioning whether or not they're going to play. So it's interesting. Um, Obviously, so Shock and I both worked with a young man that plays in the Pac-12 now named Casty Woods, who's been kind of, his name's been at the front of this, which has been crazy. Um, I will say this much before I go too much farther. Having worked with Casty Woods in multiple sports across multiple years, um, there is no locker room or character reason that you would not want him on your football team. Uh, Absolutely not. Like, he is one of the most outstanding young men I ever got the chance to work with while he was at school here in Dallas. And that doesn't even account for the fact that he's a six foot five wide receiver with a thirty five inch vertical. Oh, by the way, right? No, I, I'm just talking about his general work ethic. Like, I, I understand that Division one athletes are super talented, and you can sit here and argue with me about how easy you can find a new receiver like that. Da, da, da. I'm telling you, even if he can't play for you, there's no reason to not want him on your team. Um, it has been super weird though this week, and, and I want to shout out a guy named Mobani Jones who works for ESPN. Obviously, he's he's got some stuff coming with Vanity Fair as well soon. But he's done a lot of work with this this week. The Pac-12 movement is centering COVID in an interesting way, though. It's centering it around more than just physical health. It's like, wait a second here, what are we doing? And if you look at it, they actually make a lot of sense. These PWIs, primarily white institutions or predominantly white institutions, are making a lot of money, like Shaka said, $4 billion off of college football, which is played by a lot of a much more diverse set of students, let's say. Um, it's obviously not quite the same as other sports, but it is a lot of people of color playing football in these college universities. And they're saying, wait a second, we are out here working for no money to fund this school that then puts this $4 billion back into things that are not the football program, right? Like obviously the football program gets a chunk of it. And I don't mean to say that they don't, but that $4 billion funds a lot of things across campus that are not the football program. Is they're saying, whoa, 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 whoa. The Pac-12 movement is saying, if we're going to come out here and do this, we need to get compensated. Like some of that needs to come back to us because we are the ones we're keeping the gears moving. The Big Ten has a similar movement that's not quite as blunt about getting compensated, which is interesting because they're saying they want 
a whole different set of protocols around safety and keeping players safe and doing this right, doing that right, and those kind of things. But they haven't necessarily directly impacted the idea of compensation and supporting things like Black Lives Matter movement and creating things for diversity funds on campuses and stuff like that. Which is it, it is different, but it's also like the other half of the movement seem to be have seem seem to be the same and have some overlap. The Pac-12 thing is interesting to me because is this COVID thing the thing that sets up college players getting paid? You have all these universities across the country are going to be charging full tuition as if you're in person for online learning programs. That doesn't indicate they're doing great financially to me. The interesting case, it's not an FBS school. It's a much smaller university, but Missouri Western as a university early on in this pandemic fired almost a quarter of their faculty just had to let them go because they weren't if they weren't going to have people in seats in the fall they weren't going to be able to pay them and so i guess i'm getting at is that the money makes me think i can't quite fail this thesis but every football league that is not making billions of dollars fcs's the ivies division two and division three they're all canceling and postponing like it's the only right thing to do and the piece to consider even with the Pac-12 at some point this is really a player safety issue and it's a student safety issue whether or not you even bring people back to campus but let's just stick with the player piece what we know is the NCAA can't bubble there's no way that you could take students away from their campus and bubble them the way that you could do with professional athletes if you're not compensating them in any real way and a scholarship isn't compensation enough to make a bubble happen, right? So now when we get to the student safety issue, even if we begin playing football, even if we get to September and every Power 5 team begins playing, the thesis says, are we going to be playing in September, October, November, December? What we've seen for Major League Baseball is that if you have a situation where you do not bubble, and instead you focus on localizing your measures within the facilities. So baseball's doing that with their practice facilities and stadiums, and relying on players to have personal accountability and responsibility to follow through on protocols that are put out there. We've seen in baseball, that's not going to work. People are going to get COVID, people are going to get sick. And baseball teams are... I mean, let's conservatively estimate baseball teams are about a quarter of the size of a power five college football team. So now when you take 18 to 22 year olds and you try to enact the same measures that didn't work when you're paying guys millions of dollars, I don't know how we expect that a university isn't going to have to shut down their program at some point in September, October, November, December. I don't think we can make it through those four months. And when you start looking at the pieces that are being asked for by the Big Ten in terms of player safety, the pieces that are being asked for in terms of the Pac-12 and player safety, I have the Mountain West Conference and all of their asks pulled up here. What they're asking for are these localized measures, which don't get me wrong, you're going to definitely be doing something toward player safety that hopefully will allow some games to be played. But you can't use these measures to say we're not going to have some sort of an outbreak of COVID during the season, which then means somebody's going to end up having to cancel or postpone. And now what are you going to do when one college shuts it down 
And all of these Power 5 conferences are essentially saying we're going to do conference only. So that means you're going to start missing games. You're going to have this inequity. And in the SEC, not everyone's playing each other, right? In the Big 10, everyone's not playing each other. I don't even know what the Big 12 is going to do because the Big 12 actually said, we'll all play each other and you can get one out-of-conference game. What out-of-conference team is going to play a team in the Big right. 12? No one's – the, yeah. the, the Mac's already shut down. So they've already lost one potential option there. It just does – again, it, it's like you're saying. There's there, The logistics of it are too difficult. And, you know, you can go back and, and get to the point where you're talking with people in – March, April, May about like, look, you need to follow these protocols so we can have football in the fall. And then so many people don't follow those protocols in March, April, May. And now we're here debating if we can have football this fall. Right. But it just it doesn't make any sense. And I know we, we bring up the joke every every week, it seems like about making dollars versus making sense about amongst this pandemic. But at this point, it's like you're saying about the player safety and health. These young people are trying to make a living, if not continue a college scholarship to make a living later, off of their bodies, off of what their bodies can do. And it's looking more and more like we don't fully understand the long-term ramifications of getting this, even if you're asymptomatic and moving forward after that. That's his livelihood impacted by this. And so imagine doing that to a 20-year-old kid, right? Um, a 20-year-old kid that's not getting paid any money, much less Especially when we know that African-Americans are disproportionately impacted by COVID and the overwhelming majority of players are black. Like, I mean, there's right. so many different pieces. It, it just doesn't, again, doesn't make much sense. The other thing I'll say about college campuses, too, is that just like a baseball team, you said it's about a fifth of the size, a college football team will have a bunch of different opinions about the seriousness of this disease. And unfortunately, that's the way the whole, the whole country works, right? Is there are different people gauging these things with different levels of seriousness. And so within your 115-person football team, there will be a chunk of people that is not zero that are outside of your facility acting like this is not happening. And then they're going to enter your facility and either be asymptomatic or not be showing symptoms yet. And then doesn't matter if the other 85 or 90 people are doing everything right. It's in your facility all of a sudden. It, it, it just, again, it just continues to baffle me that people are really pushing that this can happen instead of figuring out logistically how we could do it in the spring or in 2021 or what to do. This is not kids not wanting to play though, Shaka, right? Kids love football. These kids love playing this game. It is not about like some lack of love for the game. You and I played this for a long time. Uh, we've coached it for a long time since as well. Like we all want football to happen. It's just, is it worth the cost? And I don't think it is. No one wants to put an ad memoriam page in their game day program. And so really you have to decide whether or not it's worth that risk. It, it, it puts a face on that. You put a patch on the like right shoulder of your jersey and it, it's putting a face and name to that. That is so, so hard. Okay, Parker. So the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we, we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But 
you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it helps <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're a listener to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth. Let's jump into the NBA and let's talk a little bit about the NBA bubble, specifically the sentiment that you've expressed a couple of times on this podcast, and it's a pretty darn interesting one. So our thesis statement is, the four months the NBA had off for COVID provided a de facto offseason for players in the bubble. Therefore, we should trust that the positives and negatives we see in players will be long term. I say that to you, Mr. Ainsworth. What do you think about that thesis statement? I'm giving it like a B plus. Obviously, I think it's fairly high because I am the one that came up with it. Um, I, I think <laughs> I think I'm giving it a B plus, not quite in the A range though. What about yeah, yourself? I'm, I'm with you. I think that I would go. I'm gonna just go straight B, but I could. I mean, I'm not gonna argue too much over a plus or a minus in this particular case. I'm at the B level. Okay, Parker. So now we're talking Bubble City. And specifically, we're looking at the player improvements that we've seen in Bubble City. Thesis statement being the four months the NBA had off for COVID provided a de facto offseason for players in the bubble. Therefore, we should trust that the positives and negatives we see in players will be long term. Both of us were in that B range. I was at a B. You were at a B plus. Talk to me about where this sentiment even came from, because you're the first person I've heard kind of say this. And then let's talk a little bit about why you believe so strongly in it. Well, so I think part of it is is that a lot of these players, at the start of the pandemic, we're all worried about, are these guys going to be able to keep in shape and do whatever? And obviously, game shape is a different thing. Uh, and so I don't want to act like, you know, taking time off of playing games somehow, these guys got in better shape. But I do think a lot of these guys had access to ways to work on their games in a four-month layoff from games. And that is, frankly longer than they'll usually have between the end of June and the start of training camp. Now, also most players aren't playing till the end of June. That's reserved for two teams. But it, it's interesting when you look at it like, oh, and just if you have access to a gym in that time off, you really do get to get better as if it was an off season. But it was not an off season. It was between, you know, game 62 and 63 or what, you know, it was just stuck there randomly. I, so I've always, I've thought this whole time that this would be interesting to see who got better then, and we're about to enter this deal where you play from, you know, the beginning of August through, really, if you're in the finals, through, like, mid-October, and then we pick up and play again in December. So in, like, an 18-month span, or a little less than a year, or sorry, in a little less than a year, you're going to play about a season and a half. The off-season has already happened for the next season, right? Like, the reality is, is that the next off-season is much, much shorter. And so it's interesting to see who gets better and who didn't. Before we get into like some players that did get noticeably better are playing noticeably better as we start this bubble and have crazy bubble stats and this, that, and the other crazy being compared to like what they did before. 
I think it's interesting to, to note that this is also an extremely small sample size. Like the reason I gave it a B plus and not an A will probably continue to be that until we have a bigger sample size, this is going to feel like a small sample size. Kind of like you got hot for a month or whatever, you know, or a week or whatever. Can if I tell you that that's an interesting sentiment to me just because if you think about like the beginning of seasons, we will make these broad sweeping statements about teams and how good they are after you know, five games, 10 games. And we tend not to kind of look at it as reflectively as you just have. So it's interesting that you would look at the bubble and kind of say, okay, that sample size is too small. Like in your mind, is that a contradiction or do you even agree with the sentiment that I just expressed? Well, I don't think that they have to go without one another. I think that part of it is that we're at incomplete as far as the whole bubble, right? Like they've played five and six games and most of these teams will play a first-round playoff series, and so that will get to more like literally tripling the amount of games they played so far. And then I also think that uh, the truth is is that we're very much like hot takey, how quick can we get the takeout, who wants to be first in the bandwagon kind of people when it comes to the season anyway. I mean, just wait for if the NFL season happens this year, when, when you know Tampa Bay loses their first game out the first week, everyone's going, oh my God, it didn't work. Like, just give it time. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's just typically who we are anyway. So I don't think, and maybe that's because I think both things, but I don't think I'm contradicting myself and saying players could be showing that they got better in the last four months as if it were an offseason, and it's also a small sample size. And so I think the first thing that's on everyone's mind with this is a guy named TJ Warren. So, Shaka, I saw you tweeting about TJ Warren the other day. He is but... nuts good now. <laughs> I don't know what happened to him. He is so good right now. Um, and interestingly, I actually replied to someone in Rockets Twitter because you guys have Indiana coming up. And they tweeted out, who's going to guard TJ Warren? And I just replied back, well, no one if he's scoring 34 a game. But they don't have anyone to guard Harden either, so they'll both go for 50, and that'll just be that, right? <laughs> exactly. So for reference of how crazy his 34 points per game has been, his season high in points per game, I guess technically not counting this season because he's up to 19.9 this season, was 19.6 in 2017-18. And again, that was on a bad Phoenix team. That was, at the end of the day, these bad teams, someone's got to shoot the ball at some point, right? It's interesting to see him do all of this because I don't know that it's sustainable, but I will say it's interesting to think about like, will it be sustainable when they have all of their horses, right? They don't have, you know, you wonder about Oladipo's health and Sabonis and like, I I just wonder how it's going to play out as they keep going. And I just wonder if that's going to carry over. I think that's one of the ones that could. The other guy I think that could, and I, I know you like Denver a lot, is Michael Porter Jr. Um, <laughs> he he is a dude. He was a top 10 pick for, or he was projected in the top 10 for a reason. Um, he was the best player in his high school class. Like People forget that right. because they think about the back surgery at Missouri, and I, he only played like eight games or something ridiculous. And so they're just like, oh, Michael Porter Jr., whatever. Then he gets drafted. What did Denver get him? Like at 14, 14 or something like that. Yeah. And it's he was like, projected top 10. He absolutely. 14. I mean, well, he, he was projected one number one until he right. got the back injury, right? And then he started sliding down. But, yeah, essentially what he's had, because we're going to talk about the idea of the offseason, but really what he's had is opportunity with Jamal Murray being out, right, to be able to take some more shots. And he's really progressing. He's had these four months off to be able to progress in terms of just being healthy and feeling really confident. Well, and so he missed his entire rookie season 
injured. They said they said before the season started, he's not playing this year, right? He missed his entire rookie season and then had the offseason and they went into last season, right? His second season in the NBA. It's worth noting that it's really hard to focus on things to get better at in an NBA game having never played them. And so I think this really, this four-month layoff, did kind of function like his first ever offseason. This, this is, is function- the first offseason that he's had in three years. We could just focus on basketball. No rehab. Right. Exactly. And so that he's getting in the bubble, 26-10 and an assist and a half, and he's shooting 57-50-94. Like, this is impressive, and I think it is sustainable. And again, I go back to there's a reason he was the number one kid in his high school class. There's a reason he was projected a top-ten pick even though he had a major back injury. Like, assuming he doesn't get hurt, this all would have been kind of par for the course. Like, this would have been expected of a a young 6'10 or 6-whatever, you know, superstar in the making absolutely him healthy is going to make a huge difference in denver there's a couple of guys who we've talked about throughout their nba career and now they're just jumping into this bubble and in terms of their level of play i just think it's interesting where they've elevated let me start with a university of kentucky guy in devin booker who Hmm. if i were to say to you parker after five games there will only be one team that's undefeated in the bubble like, oh, yeah. I mean, Phoenix is unbeaten. They're the only team that has not lost a game. And don't get me wrong, we can look at the Clippers game and you might say, okay, the Clippers really, are they really trying? Listen, the last shot that Devin Booker hit, he hit over Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. So you can say whatever you want to about who's playing their hardest and whatnot. Devin Booker is leading his team in this bubble when I think that most folks would have said, Objectively, Phoenix shouldn't even be in the bubble. He's uh, hitting folks for almost 30 points a game. He's at 29.4 right now. And one of the things that I said back when we did our analysis of the rankings of players in the pod that were done by ESPN, they had Devin Booker way too low. And I think Devin Booker, to me, has always been a top 15 player. And to have him in the 20s range, I think that what he's showing now is, okay, you're giving me some time. And I can elevate after having essentially this de facto offseason. So I'm looking forward to seeing how the bubble plays out for Phoenix. And I'm also looking forward to seeing how Devin Booker accelerates to start next season as well. Um, the other guy who I talked about with you before we started this podcast was Kristaps Porzingis, who I obviously got to see a lot of his early career and he's still very young, but I got to see a lot of his early career because he's playing with the Knicks, so I saw him every day. And he is a unicorn, guys. He's 7'3", he can handle the ball, he shoots threes, he can post you up. Like, Kristaps can do a lot of things incredibly well. And if I were to say to you, he's going to give you 29.4 points per game as well in the bubble, like, that's not who Kristaps has been ever in his career. He's a 20-point-per-game guy when things are rolling. Because he does so many other things well in terms of passing and defense. So it's a lot that he gives you. So for him to up his scoring level and obviously playing with a guy like Luka Doncic, who's such a great facilitator, it's going to help. Those guys are killing people. I mean, they're averaging over 60 points per game as a tandem. And if you were to say to me that Kristaps and Luka would average over 60 points per game, I would be like, man, Luka's getting 40? Because I would never think (laughs) that Kristaps would be the 30-point guy. But that's what he has been in this bubble, which is pretty darn impressive as well. One guy, it's interesting to look at some guys that may not be as sustainable in the long term. Obviously, Portland is needing to win every game to have a real shot at this. And they may really really do it. Because, again, they're a 
finally healthy team that was in the Western Conference Finals a year ago. A lot of their gumption, this bubble restart, has been on the shoulders of a guy named Gary Clark or Gary Trent Jr. I said Gary Clark. Gary Trent Jr. Um, <laughs> Gary Trent Jr. is a career again career. It's two seasons, but a career forty-one percent three-point shooter. He has broke sixty percent from the arc in four of their five games, and the game he didn't break 40, 60% from the arc was against Houston. He shot 45%. But he's not shooting 60% as in he's going like two for three. He's shooting 60% as in he's going seven for 12, and as in he's going uh, six for 10, seven for 10, seven for 11. Like the He is shooting at a high clip in a high quantity. I don't know if that's sustainable. I wonder if he comes back down to earth as the sample size gets bigger, down to earth, still being forty-one percent, still being yeah, that's way not bad. Than, about to say that's not to say he's like a bad shooter. That means he comes back down to league, like above league average numbers. Still, he is a twenty-one-year-old kid, so kind of in the same vein we talked about Michael Porter Jr. He is a young player getting better. I just wonder if those numbers drop down as legs get more tired and as we get into the playoffs and stuff like that. Can I tell you? There's a couple of teams that are underperforming that I'm curious about. Like, I don't think that it's sustainable, their underperformance. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies <laughs> have only won one game in the bubble. They have been hit by the injury bug, and I see them ascending. I I was stunned that Taylor Jenkins, by the way, wasn't in the top three for coach of the year. And I, I think I tweeted this or texted this to you, Parker. You know, I'm stunned that he wasn't in it, but I don't know who you take out because the three guys were Boone yeah, Holzer, yeah. Nurse, and Billy Donovan over in Oklahoma City. And Memphis, I mean, being one and four, I'm stunned. I, I think that they're a team on the come. And if they get healthy, they're going to be a team that's going to be very difficult for folks to deal with. Uh, in the same vein, the fact that New Orleans is only two and three in the bubble, again, not sustainable because they're going to be good. They just need to play Zion. And I'm at the point now where I'm just questioning what New Orleans is doing in terms of the management of Zion. Essentially, what they're saying is, we're just giving up on the season, which is fine. I guess if you want to do that, then do it. Except the NBA has so clearly set this up for you to be able to make the playoffs. So why not try to take advantage of it? They're playing Zion 15 to 20 minutes a game and saying it's because he's just coming off of, you know, his injury situation, which would be true four months ago. He's had four months to rehab now. He didn't have an injury that says you need to be out again after these four months. And I don't know, maybe they think that he's not in game shape or whatever, but I feel like they need to play him. Well, and so that's what I was going to say is I, my biggest critique on them is I'm not a doctor. I don't know his medical history, you know, by the fine tooth comb and those kind of things. But I will say, if you're telling me he gets 17 minutes a game, I would pick a more important 17 minutes than the one they're playing him if they're trying to win games. I also think that it's interesting. I wonder if part of his minutes limit is not necessarily looking at finishing up the 2020 season, but again, looking at it as between August 1st of 2020 and potentially you know late May of 2021, you're fitting in so much more season than you normally do. I wonder if they're trying to look at it more long-term. But again, if you're only going to play him 15 to 20 minutes, I would play him a different 15 to 20 minutes. Um, if you're talking about success or lack of success or whatever that's not transferable, do you bring up the fact that these load-managing teams look bad? Like the Lakers have kind of underperformed a couple times. Uh, I would say that 
You know, the Clippers look like they need Lou Williams way more than I would have thought they need Lou Williams. And I don't mean that to say Lou, Lou Williams isn't good. I mean that to say, like, he can't guard anybody. So I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, I, I think Milwaukee's lost a couple that I don't think people – I mean, I'm a Rockets guy, and I don't think many betters had them losing to Houston that night and Dallas a couple nights later, right? I I, I think that that's a team you could argue, almost argue is underperformed. I, I don't know. I think that some of these top-tier teams seem to be resting. Is that what you're talking about as well? Yeah, I mean, those teams I didn't even consider because, yeah, they don't need this. Like, <laughs> I think I've said this. I wrote the uh, Los Angeles Clipper – belly up preview so please go check that out where i said the seeding games don't matter to the clippers because the seeding games are about matchups and the clippers are an awful matchup for everyone (laughs) and there's no one that really matches up well with them so they don't care who they play it's just a matter of not seeing la until the conference finals not seeing the lakers until the conference finals so as long as they're in that boat they're fine and the reality with the lakers and the bucks Things were pretty much cinched for them in terms of what their lead was. The Lakers are, what, two and three, two and four, I believe, in the bubble. They only needed two wins to clinch the one seed. They're already clinched. Um, the Bucks are two and three. They only needed those two wins to clinch. So they've already cinched everything up. So to me, I'm not as worried about those teams. All right, Mr. Cummings, our last thesis of the week is about the NFL and football and bubbling, not bubbling. It says if uh, NFL teams, comma, if they are going to try and play a non-bubble season, need to bubble their star quarterbacks and other irreplaceable or Pro Bowl players. You hear that, and you think what? F. I think F. What do you think, Mr. Ainsworth? <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because in peeking behind the curtain here, I definitely pitched this thesis, and I, I'm i thinking kind of the other end of it. I'm thinking like an A-. minus. <laughs> Okay, Mr. Cummings, you gave this an F, and it was a very quick F and a very simple F and didn't have a lot of explanation behind it. So, what made you flunk it? Yeah, I don't feel like it needs a ton of explanation. The The thesis basically says that since the NFL won't bubble, they need to bubble their best players. Okay, yeah, that's an F. If you can't logistically bubble, I don't know how logistically you're going to bubble your best players, right? I mean... You've already said that logistically it's too difficult to figure out bubble scenarios. So now, at some point, if you're not all bubbling, you're going to have to pull those star players out of their individual bubbles and then put them into the general populace that isn't bubbling, correct? So that's to me, is ridiculous. Like, essentially what you're saying is people will get sick, so we're going to put these people in a confined space, then we're going to pull them out and mix them in with the people who could get sick. Like, I don't know how that helps any situation. If you're going to bubble, then just bubble, right? Like, there's a recognition that controlled environments could potentially help sports to to occur, to happen. We're seeing it with the NBA, with the WNBA, and we're seeing it with both American soccer leagues. And that's not to say that we're not seeing positive COVID tests, because obviously in the uh, women's soccer league, we did see uh, positive tests, and we saw teams had to withdraw because of positive COVID tests, right? So it's not that we're not seeing those things. It's just that once we get into the bubble and we get into that controlled environment, we tend to be able to manage things. Now, with the NFL, you've got 53-man rosters and X number of coaches, and so I get that it becomes logistically a lot more difficult. And if you're going to say, like, how many teams have Pro Bowl players? Like, if you're a great team, you got seven of those guys. So now if you throw your quarterback on top of that, let's say he's not a pro bowler, so you're going to bubble eight guys 
and then tell the other 40 guys, essentially 45 guys, hey, you guys just go ahead and do your thing normally. So now those eight eventually have to intermingle with those other 45. What do you think is going to happen? Like, eventually, even those players who bubble, if COVID is going to happen, they're going to get the disease as well. Now, what NFL teams are doing is they're essentially taking the model of baseball, which is we're going to control our facility. We're going to make localized recommendations, and we're seeing how well that works in baseball. And let me say this. If baseball decided, oh, we're just going to bubble our pitchers, it wouldn't work either. Um, and, oh, by the way, baseball rosters are conservatively half the size of NFL rosters. So, to me, this is a hard, fast F. Now, you are 100% on the <laughs> other side of this, Mr. Ainsworth, so please tell me why this is good because I'm not seeing it. I, I just see it as a, as a fairly simple minimum – threshold i see that like the idea is is that if it hit other parts of your team that are not your star players you're relying on to be successful your quarterbacks your pro bowl guys um if it's not hitting them you may be able to flounder and keep going right like if it hits a backup offensive lineman or a backup linebacker on the chiefs the chiefs will survive if it hits patrick mahomes they're in trouble, right? And so I think part of it to me is that it's a way to try and limit that interaction. Obviously, you cannot limit all of the interaction. And we can talk ad nauseum about how the truth is they ought to all be bubbling because the NBA and the WNBA and the soccer leagues, you point out, have proven that's the way to go. This is conceding that they're not going to do that. What I am going to say is that I think it's in the team's best interest to find ways to keep these guys they're heavily invested in safe, healthy, and not sick because... They, I mean, like with Patrick Mahomes again, have invested a lot in these guys. And so, again, people don't really, I don't think the average person that hasn't looked at the numbers realizes the pay discrepancy in the NFL between like a starter or pro bowler or big time name you know. Or between like every Donald's. quarterback in every other position. Like, I mean, it's, it <laughs> right. is a discrepancy. Ex exactly. And so then versus some guy that's making league minimum, which is great for a normal job, but it is not setting you up for life kind of money. The difference between like Stephon Gilmore and like their backup corner on the other side of the field, right, in New England, that's a big jump. Um, the difference between Khalil Mack and the backup strong safety is a big jump, right? The, these contracts are so different that as a team, if I've invested Khalil Mack type money into him, I would, am going to try and find ways to keep him safe. Okay, um, but just to counter that, if we're talking about just your starters – like your quarterback Pro Bowl guys, which is what the thesis said. And again, I'm giving you eight guys, which would be a Super Bowl level team, right? We're talking about the Ravens. Right, that's now, a really good team. That's right? a really good team. So now you say, okay, we have to bubble those guys to protect the investment. What happens when a position group gets ravaged? Like, I don't know, offensive line. And now all of a sudden you got three starters who are out. But you did bubble your quarterback. So now you're going to put your quarterback behind your offensive line that has three backup guys who are playing because COVID ravaged the rest of your starters. And that's not even getting into practice situations, right? Like we know this as coaches, offense is timing. The offense has to practice together. If we bubble, how are we going to manage practice? Are we going to not have the quarterback be a part of practice on the offensive side and then say, Hey, go out there on Sunday and win us a game. Go. I don't know how that works. So, I don't the, the scenarios that but you're see, presenting aren't realistic to me in terms of how football works. They strike me as sunk cost though. The idea that you could catch it being close to someone at practice is a sunk cost to me if you're not willing to bubble. The idea that 
you're going to have a potentially, you know, young or inexperienced or bad offensive line in front of a quarterback because you're not wanting to bubble and a guy gets sick. That's a sunk cost me. I see this as more a way to add some, even if it's a small percentage or small layer of protection to guys that you're paying a lot of money to as a franchise and to guys you're hanging your hat on as a franchise as you move forward throughout the season. Because, the, again, the thesis assumes we're not willing to bubble the NFL. I think the clever idea that, forget who it was two or two weeks ago, someone had about like having every division do their own bubble and then playing like your you know, division games. I mean, games if you want to talk weeks, about yeah. logistical nightmares, though, like that's... No, I, but <laughs> but that's... again, if we're not going to go down that path and I am the New Orleans Saints, a team with a bunch of, you know, certainly a, a high number of Pro Bowl-type guys. I don't know if they're quite at eight. I have to go through the whole roster and check. But you got Cameron Jordan. you got Michael Thomas. you got Drew Brees. you got Alvin Kamara. you got you got, you got guys. If you're the New Orleans Saints, is it worth it to try and add an extra layer of protection to those key guys? I think it's absolutely worth it to try to How are you going to have an guys? offensive practice without Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, and Alvin Kamara? Like, if you bubble all those guys, they can't practice with the rest of the guys. Because otherwise, you don't need a bubble, right? No, because but you're what you're going to end up doing is you're going you're still going to practice together, and I understand that that's the sunk cost I'm talking about about playing this game. Then that's not a bubble. So if they, if you tell me, and maybe that's what it is. Maybe we have a different definition for bubble. So maybe we need to settle on what that is. Because if you tell me we're bubbling the Pro Bowl guys and the quarterback, you can't tell me then that every day of the week. We're going to have them intermingle with the guys who are not being bubbled because then it's not a bubble. You've essentially broken the seal. As soon as Drew Brees walks onto the practice field with guys who aren't bubbling, his bubble didn't matter because all those other guys who he has to interact with didn't bubble. So the moment that they get into a huddle, and don't get me wrong, I get that most NFL teams don't even huddle anymore, but the moment that they do get into a huddle, at best, there's five guys, which means that there's six guys who didn't bubble. So to me, it's it's not it's not a sunk cost scenario. It's it doesn't make any sense. Like it's not logical. It might make you feel better, but it's not a logical method. Now talk to me about how you envision the bubble. Like, am See, I thinking of it the same way that you are? I think that's probably part of what we're differing here is when we think of bubble. Like the value in the NBA bubble I'm seeing is not the idea that they're practicing or what it, the value in the bubble I see is everything they're doing outside of a team activity, right? Everything they're doing outside of a game or practice is the value I see in the WNBA, NBA, and soccer bubbles. And so you're controlling and having a more clean environment, uh, for lack of a better phrase, around the other 20 hours or 15 hours or whatever you want to call it of the day, right? And so what I'm saying is that, yes, you're going to be controlling these powerful strong players powerful contracts however you want to describe them for their entire day and you're going to just kind of understand that if we're going to play this game this fall anyway those you know four or six hours are just unfortunate that's just the way that's going to go but we can try and control these other hours of the day and say listen we're minimizing contact you're not interacting with all these other people you're staying put you're staying here this is how this is how you know doing those kinds of things but this is where we get into the differences between sports then right so we understand that it's not an apples to apples when we talk Completely. what the nba is doing what the wnba is doing what the mls has done because they have decided to jump into a bubble and everyone's in there that being said those sports are different than football 
Now, I think this soccer is going to be the one that's most similar because I believe that soccer players play one game a week like football. The big deal with football is you practice way more than you play. So if what we're looking at is we're going to try to manage the 20 hours that they aren't playing or practicing in a particular day because they got to get together for these four, to me, you're bringing together this group of 53 men, and that's not including the practice squad. So once you get into the practice squad numbers, now we're right. going to be closer to like 70 guys, and you're bringing them together every day for four hours. And there's no way that you can run a practice without those guys intermingling at some point. And if they don't practice, there's no way they could go out and win an NFL game. I don't care if it's Drew Brees. I don't care if it's Tom Brady. If you don't practice, you're not beating NFL teams. There's no way. The talent is too close. And we know the talent's too close to the NFL because how many times do we see a team finish last in the division that finish first the next year? And it's like out of nowhere. How many times do we see half the teams that make the playoffs don't make it the next year? Right? So we know that the talent discrepancy in the NFL is too close to say that we're going to somehow impact practices. You guys are still going to win. Now, obviously, the counter argument to that is that everyone has to do it. So I understand that. But what we're what we also have to understand is that not everyone's going to have eight guys or whatever. Right. So now the teams that are actually better are going to be disproportionately impacted because the Ravens have more guys. So they're going to have to bubble than the Jets do. And I do think that there's value in the Jets just going ahead and practicing and then going and playing the Ravens who aren't practicing together. It's, but I'm not advocating not practicing together. I'm I'm advocating controlling the other hours of the day. I get that, but if you control those other hours and then they have to get back together, all the benefit that you got from controlling those other hours is null and void because you couldn't control all the other hours for everyone else. Friends, that is another edition of FN Sports. Mr. Ainsworth was wrong about the whole bubble thing, and I was right. And <laughs> we had some other great arguments. Mr. Ainsworth, do you want to hit folks up and let them know where they can get in contact with you in terms of social media? Yeah, you can find me and my articles about Golik or about mascots or about general silliness in the NBA and like uh, at Painsworth 512 That's P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512. All one word on Twitter and Instagram. I also am pretty active on the FN Sports Twitter handle. That one is at FN Sports 2, F-I-N-S-P-O-R-T-S, the number two, all one word on Twitter. Uh, you can find me, I'll dash it with P-A at the end, or Shaka will dash it with C-C at the end. Uh, Shaka, we also have an Instagram. Absolutely. Check us out on Instagram at F underscore N underscore sports. And you can find me on social media at Shaka Cummings, at C-H-A-K-A-C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S. Thank you for listening to another episode of F in Sports. Please remember to like, subscribe, share, do all the wonderful things that help out our podcast. And please remember, when it comes to sports, don't bump with us. Later, guys.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 